The organizations in our data set with the highest Trust ID score outperformed everybody else by up to 4x. It's not just a little bit, it is magnitude of order higher than their peer set. The reason that happens is because as you earn more trust, the marginal benefit of trust increases. So for example, if you were to move your trust score from say 30 to 31, you see roughly a 3% expected stock return increase. If you were to move it from 60 to 61, you see roughly a 6% expected stock return increase. So as a measure for understanding shareholder value, we would argue that trust is a massive, if not the biggest driver of your financial outcomes. And it's something that the board should be paying attention to, your leadership being should be paying attention to, etc. Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. I empower leaders to turn indifferent customers into loyal fans. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights and wisdom. We give you practical tips and proven frameworks and share ways to help you delight your customers. Well, I am so excited for my guest on the Delighted Customers podcast show today, who I will say we are of kindred spirits and like minds when it comes to the concept of trust. And she has really become an expert, not only an expert, an author, uh, co-author of this book called The Four Factors of Trust. Welcome to the show, Ashley Reichelt. Thanks, Mark. I'm so excited to be here. Well, it's an honor and privilege for me to have you on the show. We're just going to have some fun today, uh, illuminating and, and talking about this concept of trust and how it works in the business world. Uh, this kind of soft, mushy <laughs> word that actually has some real business implications and some real practical implications. But you wrote this book, which um, is called The Four Factors of Trust. And I'm curious as to what you saw as the white space out there uh, to write the book. You know, I've spent my career focused on trying to understand human behavior, why it is we do what we do, and why it is we say we're going to do one thing, and then we go off and do something completely different. And as I was trying to pick apart and understand behavior in a way that would be actionable for organizations to shift it and do things differently, um, I really started investigating the concept of trust. It, nobody in the, in the dozens, hundreds of C-suite interviews I've done, I have never had anybody say trust isn't important. Of course it is. We all intuitively know that trust is important. The challenge was more, how do you break it down into its component pieces so I can do something about it? And that was really my goal, to create a tool that was actionable for leaders in their organizations to be able to solve some of their trust gaps and then drive the desired behaviors from their customers, from their workers, and from their partners. So it really started with that. Okay. And at the time you you were doing this, you're, you're a principal at Deloitte. So were you working on some other projects? And then you said, oh my gosh, I got to go after this. I have been in this space for my entire career as a consultant. And at the time I was leading our practice in travel hospitality and doing work in customer and marketing specifically. So how do we help organizations to deliver world-class customer and employee experiences? in order to drive more profitable growth. And it was there that I really uncovered this need of, well, we have a lot of great measurement tools, but nothing that really helps me break down why people are doing what they're doing so that I could intervene differently and drive a different kind of behavior. 
And the cool thing about trust, by the way, is not only is it the single biggest driver of behavior holding price constant, but it's also the kind of thing that when you focus on it, it creates the kinds of organizations that we want to be a part of. So we're simultaneously generating profit and driving behavior while creating places that are fun that we want to be a part of. Well, and and that makes so much sense. And um, and yet I think, you know, like you said, like it's intuitive, like people people, business leaders understand trust and maybe in the in their mind, they think they kind of have it. But um, I'm sure as we know, we, we you and I just before we got on the on the uh, ep- on this episode, we started talking about how really it's deteriorating around the world and across all these industries. I want to ask you a question about I want to get to that too. why, why maybe that's happening um, and what you've learned. But before we deconstruct those four uh, factors that you talk about, I want to ask you, as you're doing the research and re- and getting ready to write this book and writing it, was there anything you learned that just kind of stood out and surprised you? Uh, a whole lot of things surprised me, if I'm totally honest. Yeah. Um, we've, over the last couple of years, we've collected hundreds of thousands of data points around trust across 30 sectors, across... Um, uh, B2B and B2C with employees, with workers here in the US, as well as abroad. So we've tried to study it from every every different angle. And the thing that surprised me most as we were doing the research uh, was probably that I expected demographics to play a bigger role in trust. Hmm. Well, what I mean by that was I really expected ethnicity, for example, or gender identity to be more strongly correlated with trust. And there's there's certainly a relationship. But Actually, what's happening is that somebody's lived experience is ultimately what's driving trust. That is influenced by your demographics, but it's not entirely linked. Let me let me tell you what, let me tell you what I mean by that. My partner is Dutch, and we spent the vast majority of our life together living abroad because we couldn't both legally live in the states. We couldn't get our marriage recognized and have a work visa. So when Doma finally fell, we were delighted to move home and decided to have kids. We are both on the birth certificate here in Massachusetts. Um, but that's not actually relevant where we go to visit my parents in Ohio. Both my kids are type one diabetics and it's entirely possible that they'll end up in the hospital. Now, because my partner isn't considered a parent, that would mean she has no visitation rights, no ability to dictate care, for example, should the worst happen. So in order to safely visit my parents in Ohio, we had to adopt our own kids. Now, that for sure impacts what I think about Ohio, my trust of the state, so to speak. But it has nothing to do with the fact that I'm gay. It has to do with how you're treated as a gay person. So it is that lived experience that matters, not necessarily that demographic variable. Interesting. Interesting. All right. So now um, the lived experience uh, is really what you found that discovered. But but as you go through the book and you said, okay, these are the four things um, talk more about how you came to those four and what are those four things? Could you break those down for us? Absolutely. It was my goal to create a scientific platform. So something that is data-based and based on how things are actually happening, not just supposition. So our first research was to scour everything that had been done and then to test in market with roughly 8,000 people, what specifically drives trust. And we wanted to be able to break it down into components that people understood and could take action against. Um, one One of the exercises I love to run with executive teams is I will hand out a piece of paper and if there are 10 executives, we'll say, okay, everybody write down the definition of trust. And inevitably, those pieces of paper come back with 10 different definitions. One person will say, it's when you make a good promise. 
Another will say is when you show up on time. Another will hand me a blank piece of paper and say, ah, I couldn't write anything down. I just know it when I see it. Trust is hard to define. So our work really focused on breaking into those component parts. And what we learned is that there are four factors that drive trust. You earn trust when you have the right intent, which we describe as having humanity, treating people with empathy and kindness, treating people fairly, and doing that transparently, sharing your motivations, helping people have the information they need to make a choice. Now, of course, you have to deliver on that intent and you need to have the capability and reliability to do that. So you have to be able to do it with the products and services and then do it consistently. Those are the four factors, humanity, transparency, capability, and reliability. And those four held true across industries, across countries, across B2B, across B2C, regardless of where you are, this is how humans build trust. Interesting. Uh, okay. And did you find that, um, like, how do those how do those play, you know, all four of them as an individual, do do all four weigh out equally? Does it, is it situational? Um, it is, they are not necessarily equal. Mm-hmm. In fact, most organizations do a much better job on capability and reliability. So we tend to see a lot of behavior correlated with those. However, humanity and transparency are equally as important. For example, somebody's willingness to forgive an organization is often tied to how human they think they are. So if you make a mistake, they're going to be willing to give you another shot. We actually weight them equally in our measure. The way we create trust ID is to take your current number of people who say they agree that you are human, transparent, et cetera, subtract the people who aren't. And that gives you a net score that we average across those four variables that will help you understand where you're trusted and where you're not trusted. Okay, so um, what's the what's the science behind the net score? The science behind the net score is we really wanted to take out the noise. And when you look at the average score, it doesn't tell you a whole lot. So I'm at five or 5.2. What does that really mean? By getting rid of the neutrality in the middle, you start to see the stark comparison of the people who really trust you versus the people that don't. And that gives you a good sense of where you are relative to everybody else and how much further you need to go. It's also just a really, really beneficial thing to have a measure that's super simple because people are are more easy. It's more you're more able to use it. We actually did a lot of the advanced statistics behind it, and it was worth a, that time to trade off a few points in p value, uh, in r value actually, in order to get a measure that was usable. So we made some trade offs statistically, but the measure is highly behaviorally driven. So uh, let me let me give you an example of what I mean. When you have a high trust ID score, your customers are 180% or 1.8x more likely to purchase from you. They're 1.4x more likely to spend more with your brand. On the employee side, employees are 50% less likely to look for a new job and 1.8x more likely to be motivated by the brand. So those factors specifically drive behavior. And and so that's fascinating. So obviously there's a correlation that you've proven out using this trust ID. Tell us about the actual assessment itself. How is it constructed? So it is a very easy assessment, or at least I like to think so. It is one question with four parts. We ask people to what extent do you, and then we ask about each of the four factors. Once you have that, you have both your trust score as well as what's driving it. So let's say I have a trust score of 50 and it's because I'm low on transparency. Now I know that in order to go build trust, I need to intervene on transparency. Now we have a longer battery of questions that helps us to understand what specifically is driving that transparency issue. 
for example, is it due to the fact that people don't understand my pricing? Is it due to the fact that people think my marketing communications are entirely honest? What is it that that happens? And those do tend to vary a little bit by industry. Um, by the way, I'm such an advocate of this platform that we have published all of this online. Anybody can go check it out. The four factors are there to download, as well as the survey tools that you can use to collect them. We believe that Measuring trust is arguably a fiduciary responsibility for organizations. And we're hoping that people will go and pick up this platform and start to use it. So um, what I hear you saying in that is, talking about use it, is there some practical applications that you can gain from getting a baseline of where you stand today? Um, and you and I talked about this a little bit um, regarding net promoter score and um, and some of the back and forth fun uh, debates that you're that you've had about <laughs> net net promoter score and and maybe its limitations. And so, if you don't mind talking more about how um, maybe how the trust ID can be a little in your mind a little bit more discerning for the leaders who want to make change. For sure. And um, just as a way of background for that, I consider trust and loyalty to be, to be in my blood. My uncle is the person who created the Net Promoter Score. And so it's always been in my mind, how do we help people generate more loyalty through trust? We worked with a global airline last summer. They are a company that uses NPS and they deeply try to understand how they can earn more loyalty measuring it with NPS. What we did for them was to take those NPS scores and then break down the trust scores for those individuals so that they could understand how to drive more loyalty. And what was interesting is that while the trust score and your NPS score are deeply related, as you earn trust, you earn loyalty. The components of trust vary quite a bit. So for example, let's compare two passengers. Passenger A has the same NPS as passenger B or same likelihood to recommend, but the passenger A has a low humanity score. And what you would need to do with her to earn her humanity is to waive the seat fee. Let her sit next to her kid. Arguably, that's good for the whole plane too, by the way. Passenger B, same likelihood to recommend, but his trust score is low on reliability. So you should treat him like a human being. But if you really want to move the needle and drive more trust and more loyalty, you have to make it up to him. He sat on the tarmac for three hours last, last week, which is why his reliability is low. So make it up to him with miles or drink vouchers or whatever's relevant, and then help him understand what you're doing to be more reliable in the future. Same score, but entirely different action. And that is the value of breaking down the components of trust. It allows you to intervene more specifically on what's driving the problem. So... So you've got a little bit of better insight as to the why behind some of the scores. Let me ask you from an application standpoint, typically when, when we think about getting feedback results, like from Net Promoter Score, as a practitioner, there's this concept of the inner loop and the outer loop. Inner loop you know, kind of means like I'm going to respond to a really unhappy customer quickly. I'm going to close the feedback loop. And then for uh, I'm collecting data and looking at some of these trends, and ultimately I may have to go back and look at the root cause of what's causing this. When we think about the trust ID, does it both have an, an immediate and more of a longer term uh, component to how we react to the scores? Is your question... Mark, I don't think I understand your question. Would you help me again? With yeah. That? Yeah. So like, in, for example, in, in, in NPS or, or voice of the customer data, there's um, 
there's a best practice concept that says you, you not only need to look at the trends and the data you're collecting so that you can change and modify the design of the experience that they go through, but you need to put in any fires that are happening today because those customers are at risk. So what's your closed feedback loop to get back to those customers that are unhappy? Got it. And so what you're really talking about is measuring your in-moment experience versus measuring your total relationship with the organization. Right. How does you work together? Trust works very similarly that way. They're going to be acute problems that you need to address in order to maintain that longer term relationship. So when we think about measuring trust, we do it both as part of your engagement. So I just had an experience to what extent did that impact my trust score? And then overall, what is my relationship with the brand or the company? And how does that impact my overall trust score? Now, I'll tell you, in my experience, intervening at the moment of interaction is by far the most important. Take mm. an employee, for example. An employee um, will have a, a feeling about their trust in their organization, and they will have a feeling about their trust in their manager. That trust in their manager has an outsized impact on how they feel about their organization. So if you really want to earn that employee's trust, you have to start with that point of interaction, how that manager is either earning or eroding trust, and that will have implications for the broader relationship. So, and and you just mentioned uh, the, the employee experience really as it relates to trust. Um, and, you know, I looked at what um, the Harvard Business Review article that um, you you and your partner wrote, and in there you said really the constituent group for Trust ID and what we're talking about is the customer, the employee, and even the shareholder, right? Talk, talk more about how that works. So let me start by articulating the, the value of trust um, and why we think it's important or why it's a fiduciary responsibility. The organizations in our data set with the highest trust ID score outperformed everybody else by up to 4x. It's not just a little bit, it is magnitude of order higher than their peer set. The reason that happens is because as you earn more trust, the marginal benefit of trust increases. So for example, if you were to move your trust score from say 30 to 31, you see roughly a 3% expected stock return increase. If you were to move it from 60 to 61, you see roughly a 6% expected stock return increase. So as a measure for understanding shareholder value, we would argue that trust is a massive, if not the biggest driver of your financial outcomes. And it's something that the board should be paying attention to, your leadership being, should be paying attention to, et cetera. Now, how you build those trust scores happens at the relationship level, your relationship with your B2B partners, your relationship with your workers and your relationship with your customers. That is ultimately what's allowing you to unlock this value. And it's an ecosystem. You can't have great trust with your customers and zero trust with your employees. That doesn't really work. It's important to build trust with your employees because those employees are who are earning you trust with your customers. And there's a direct relationship, by the way. We looked at the scores for Fortune's most, the top places to work. And what we saw is that not only is it a better place for employees, it increases customer trust by an average of 23% and drives outsized behavior. So for example, 2x improvement in things like willingness to purchase. So trust is an ecosystem and it needs to start at the level of interaction and with your most important relationships, and that will have a total impact on your business. Nice, nice. So there's some data to support the value, as you mentioned, the value of trust. Um, I want to ask you about those four capabilities, because one of the things you just said was it really comes down to the human to human level. 
And so when you think about things like transparency and capability and what are some of the actions that people can take to move the needle uh, at the human level? You know, it depends on where you sit in an organization, but let me take it from both the personal side. What can I do as a leader as well as what my organization can do? Yeah. As an individual leader, you have the opportunity to shape trust every day with your teams. And um, what we have observed is that leaders tend to be over-indexed on the capability and reliability side, a lot like organizations. So we show up with competence because competence is what has earned us our position in the organization. It's by being really good at our jobs that we get promoted. The challenge is that how you are in trust with people also requires positive intent. So you have to be demonstrating humanity and transparency with your teams. So as a leader, think about where you could improve on the four factors in order to earn that trust. One of my favorite examples to use there is transparency. Most people fall down on this. Um, and you know, it's when I say transparency, it's not everything under the, under the sky, it is relevant transparency. A funny joke that we tell is when you're at a farm to table restaurant, it's really cool to hear about how the food is raised, where it comes from, who's the farmer and his or her family, what are they like? It adds texture to the meal, but you draw the line at knowing the name of the animal that was processed. There are just some things you don't need to know. And leaders tend to avoid sharing information because of a lot of things, legal concerns, you're worried about how people will react but not being transparent with your teams often erodes trust. And it's one of the first things leaders can do in order to build trust. Now, as an organization, it looks a little bit different. So same four factors, but you're engaging with people in a very different way. And similar to individuals, most organizations fall down on humanity and transparency. Marriott is one of our trust leaders and they're unique because they actually do a really good job across all four factors. In transparency specifically, they're one of the few companies that when you click a box, you can display all the fees and taxes that would be associated with your stay. And that's unusual because most companies don't reveal that right away. They kind of save that until you checked in and oh, by the way, did you know there's a 25 or $50 resort fee? Oh, you didn't? Well, here you go. <laughs> or it actually gives you that information in advance. And to some degree, they're, they're trusting you to treat that information as you will. So to understand that not all the competitors are sharing the same information, but they know it's important to how you make your choice and they want to give you that information upfront. Nice. So, so that uh, clearly rem reminds me and the overlap between that and the original trust equation that was put forth in trust advisor book, th therefore our credibility, reliability, intimacy, which would be probably similar to transparency and self-orientation, meaning a low self-orientation, build those all move toward trustworthiness. It's really the trustworthiness equation, which just validates that um, the four that you chose are not by chance, but actually uh, make make sense, and they're a good way to deconstruct what trust is and really what trustworthiness is. Oh, yeah. No, and we didn't make them up because we thought it was a good idea. They emerged because they were, in our research, the top factors. They were far and away what influenced behavior. That's how we originally came up with them. And in all of our research posts, we've learned that those four factors are simply how humans build trust. It doesn't matter if you're in the UK or the US. This is how we as humans earn or lose trust. And, and when you think in terms of the customer experience leader, and and your model and what you've studied and what you've written about in the book like what are some tips or advice that you could give for the cx leader to help him or her them out 
Uh, well, that closed loop feedback system is incredibly important. So if you're mm. not tracking it, start tracking it. A couple of examples. We've been working with a branch of the government and helping them with their human resources transformation. We baked trust ID into their contact center so that every time somebody calls in to, to understand benefits because they're moving to change their address, whatever it is, whatever the reason they're calling, we gather their trust score. And that gives us an immediate pulse on how the organization is feeling and doing and what we should be doing differently as a result. In this particular case, the organization was low on transparency. So we took a number of initiatives under wing to improve transparency and saw nearly a 200% improvement as a result. So baking it into the, the basic business processes in your organization and then using that information to improve the feedback loop is by far and away the best way to get started. Yeah, and and give me... Give me um another illustration on a personal level of i don't know maybe where you where you see people stumble um where they could improve their own trust well you know i actually asked for this advice some years back i was working with um a woman who later became a ceo of a big manufacturing company and i was going up for a partner at the time and i asked her jill give me some advice you know, we've worked together for a while. What do I need to work on? What should I do differently? And it was gratifying to have her say, Ashley, you're great. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate mm. it. She also gave me some important feedback that I hadn't thought about. Mm. And what she told me was, Ashley, you got to make yourself vulnerable. Mm. Now, I looked at her as if she had six eyes. This was a largely mm. male environment in the middle of the Midwest. It wasn't a place where I felt super comfortable being vulnerable. But she didn't mean that you needed to bear your soul and march naked in the organization. What she meant was you have to let people in. When people see that you are human, that you're valuable, they are much more likely to be vulnerable themselves and ask for help. Trust is built in moments of vulnerability. So as a leader, showing up as a human being is incredibly important. And it's one of the very first things I'd encourage people to think about. Yeah, be being vulnerable. And some of that, some of that is kind of paradoxical and you would some of the things that you need to do to build trust like take relational risks uh because really if, if there was no risk we would need to to be trustworthy right that's right and trust is what allows us to mitigate that risk or at least become comfortable with that risk because we know if we mess up people are going to give us a chance to make it better and fix it Trust is incredibly important to being able to take those risks and then being able to close the gap if you do fall down. And incidentally, you have to give trust to get trust. And this mm. really does sit with an organization. An organization has all the power. And so the organization has to lead with trust before expecting employees to trust them back. Let me give you an example about what I mean. In the retail industry, a lot of companies use a points-based system for attendance. And I don't mean the good kind of points, like you collect for airlines. These are bad points. When you add them all up, they will be disciplinary or they will potentially result in losing your job. So if you're late, if you have to take your kid to a doctor's appointment, you earn points. Now, imagine what you're actually telling your employees. Mm. What you're telling them is that doctor's appointment you took your kid to is less important than your job. So either show up or not. Um, but it does suggest that we don't trust you to to make your own choices and do what you need to do. So we're going to watch you. And that does not build trust. Mm, definitely not. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm sure there are stories like that, examples in businesses across that you just would shake your head and say, oh my gosh, do you realize what, what impact you're having on your employee morale? 
Yeah. And I, everybody designs these systems for the outliers, the person who's going to take mm, advantage of it yes. and show up to me because they got coffee. But the reality is, you know, I like to believe that people really are positive and really good at heart. So I, for example, my first year at college, I was reading Anne Frank. It's one of my favorite books. Mm. And I was simultaneously taking a class on ethics and philosophy. And we were reading Thomas Hobbes. Thomas Hobbes says, life is nasty, brutish, and short. And he suggests that the only reason we behave ourselves is because everybody else in society is watching. So he would posit that people are not so very good. Anne Frank goes through hell. And at the end of her book, she says, after everything, I still believe people are truly good inside. And I'm an Anne Frank believer. I really do think the majority of people are trying to engage in a positive way. And by the way, the data bears this out. 75% of more people would do the right thing or do something for somebody else, even at a cost to themselves. So if we design for the positive in our organizations, we'll ultimately be better off. Yeah. And I think, I think uh, that would extend, I know what you think, but I think that would extend to customers as well, giving them the benefit of that. One of the things, you know, Fred Reichheld, your uncle and others talked about is this idea of bad profits, Um, you know, extracting value from customers by charging them nuisance fees, right? Yep. And I think we can point to industries that do that really well, like mobile phones. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> gosh. Um, there are certainly places where that's been a problem. And I think what Fred did so well is realize that when you treat people the way you'd expect to be treated, they do that in return. I would call that earning trust. When you extend trust to your customers, they in turn do the things that you want them to do. Buy more from you, pay more for the experience and so on and so forth. Ultimately, earning trust is really about doing the right thing for your people. Yeah, I, I want to pull out one of the gems you said, which is you got to give to get. And that's both individual and that's corporate thinking um, to get trust. So that, there, there's a huge gem. If it's okay, we get to land the plane soon, but I want to ask you a question uh, about the future. But first, before we get to the future, we started at the top and um, you and I both talked about different studies that we observed that showed a deterioration of trust, uh, sadly, across most industries, not just isolated to one industry or one area, one geographical area. Tell me what is behind that. You know, it's really difficult to point to any one thing. But what I can do is, so for example, the data that we're talking about in this particular instance comes from Pew or Gallup. Sorry, and they've been measuring trust for since 1973, I think. Yeah. So 50 years of data. And in that 50 years, we have only seen a decline in trust and a decline everywhere in organized religion, in Congress, in big business, in schools, in media. It is truly epidemic, this loss of trust. And I'm afraid that what it's doing is compounding itself. So as you lose trust, you position yourself to lose more trust. It's a terrible repeating cycle. And there are lots of things that are contributing to this. The divisive politics in the US would be a big one, for example. The focus of business on shareholder profit was a big one. Up until recently, the number one thing that we would evaluate for organizations was, am I delivering value to my shareholders? We've realized, I think, or at least now held ourselves accountable for the fact that there are multiple audiences that we have to consider outside of just our shareholders. We need to be providing value to our employees 
to our customers, to our business partners. We need to be taking care of relationships with our regulatory bodies and so on and so forth. So it's not one thing that is driving low trust. It is many things coming to bear. Mm. And I argue a lack of focus on trust in mm. part because it is an amorphous concept that until now has been very difficult to measure. But now that we can break it down and really intervene at the points that are going to matter, we can be much more intentional about building trust to bear the fruits of those labors. Yeah. But well, well said. Thanks for um, breaking that down. Um, the last question, the last question I have relative to business, and then I have one on a more, more personal level that I always close the interviews with is, um, this idea uh, when we talk about trust and we talk about relational risk this idea of artificial intelligence uh chat gpt and so forth you can't hardly see an article or a linkedin post or something that doesn't reference it somehow um, it is at the forefront of people's minds what impact do you see it having on trust going forward well, we've actually done a little bit of research to understand the impact of AI and trust, and it was far more negative than I expected mm. it to be. What we did was compare scenarios where you engage with human versus where you engage with a bot. And then we asked people about their trust and behavior afterwards. And when they knew they were engaging with AI, their trust scores were dramatically lower, roughly 1.4 to 1.x, depending on whether you're a worker or a customer. So the immediate reaction to AI was, I don't trust it. And you can understand why a lot of this is, right? We talk a lot about AI generating content that has bad information in it. So there's a lot of skepticism and inherent concern about AI. In fact, I haven't been in a conversation about AI that doesn't immediately have trust in the very next breath. That will have a massive impact going forward. And we're encouraging organizations to, to as you build out AI, be really thoughtful about the trust equation alongside it. Pay attention to the human side of AI. Make sure that the AI that you're using is targeted to delivering engagements transparently with humanity, doing it with capability and reliability. So really use the four factors to understand the relationships you're creating with people and the impact. And of course, in AI, you also have to make sure the machine itself is trustworthy. Is my AI doing things that are biased, perhaps? Um, is my data safe and protected? Have I really secured it? So look at trust from both the human and the machine lens, and that's going to be incredibly important. The organizations that fail to do that might not not only unlock the benefits of AI effectively, they actually may erode their trust even more than it is today. Yeah, so it's it's a big it's a big opportunity. It's also a big risk. It it is a risk, but the upside is so big. We wouldn't suggest to companies don't. Do with AI because it's not trusted. What we suggest is just be cognizant of the trust that you need to earn alongside mm. it. Really pay attention to the four factors. Really pay attention to the machine inside of trust in order to extract the maximum benefit of AI. Yeah. And it, ironically, and one way to put it is when you think about AI, take a human-centered approach to how you're going to implement it. Right? Yes. And I, <laughs> I would argue that's really captured in the humanity factor. If yeah. you're paying attention to what drives trust, then you are building your AI with humans in mind because you're thinking about how you treat them fairly, what they individually need, and that will train your AI to deliver trust in a much more human way. But you also have to do that while providing transparency into how you're using AI, how it works, what data you're collecting. And then, of course, you have to make sure your AI is generating things that are accurate. So I, I you know, if you've written an essay with ChatGPT, you may find that not all of the data is accurate. That's going to be pretty important. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, the bottom line here is that uh, while trust is not something that companies started with historically, um, we're focused on building a better widget, big building a better mousetrap, faster, quicker, cheaper, uh, more global, all these things that at the end of the day, it's human beings making decisions to connect, engage with other human beings. And in this case, we're talking about exchange relationship. Uh, and trust shouldn't be the last thing. It should be the first thing we're thinking about when we design anything. Very well said. Design with trust in mind and build your products with that. In fact, that is an area we've been helping our clients. One of my favorite examples is a timeshare company. Um, this organization, you can imagine, is very much perceived like the used car salesman of hospitality that catch you in a moment of weakness when you're on vacation and they sell you a lifetime subscription to a timeshare. You come home and suddenly the 19% interest rate and the maintenance fees that you're going to pay every year have hit you and you realize what you've done, but you know, it's lifetime. <laughs> so there's no getting out of it without selling it. This same company wants to create um, a vacation subscription service, and that's going to require a very different engagement with customers. People are going to be able to drop it at any time. You have to continue to demonstrate your value to them. So design it with trust in mind. When we were looking at their offering, we used the four factors. And as we were researching humanity, one of the things we learned is that people um, get as much, if not more joy from planning a trip than they do when taking it. So as we design this product for them, we have to be human first. If Ashley's coming to the website, make sure we're trained in on what Ashley's trying to do because the trips she's going to look for as a mom are totally different than the trips she's going to look for as a girl's weekend out going to a spa. So make sure you're designing it with that angle in mind. So to your point, don't wait until the after effect to think about the four factors. Bake them in to how you're envisioning your experiences, to how you're designing your products and services in order to engender trust from the very get-go. Excellent. Excellent. Well said. Well said. All right. So we, we get, we're going to have to land the plane. But before we do, one last question, which is, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Oof, that's a hard one. Um, it's amazing what you learn over the period of 20 years. And I thought I was very smart as a 20-year-old. I had a lot more to learn. I would just say there's much more fun coming. So enjoy it as you do it. It's okay to pick apart the moments. It's okay to envision the future, but enjoy where you are because every moment that you're building counts and will lead to better moments to come. Excellent. Excellent. Great advice. Um, Ashley was a fantastic guest. The book is The Four Factors of Trust. Ashley, if, if our listeners wanted to get a hold of you, what would be the best way for them to reach you? Well, definitely find me on LinkedIn. So you can see Ashley Reichelt at LinkedIn.com. You can also check out our website, The Four Factors of Trust. And there you can download our surveys. You can actually go in and play with the data too. We've published the consumer data set online. So you can see what trust scores look like in life sciences versus in automotive and so on and so forth. We encourage organizations to start to measure trust and we hope to provide the tools for you to do so on your own on the website. So check us out. And we'll include that in the show notes um, for this podcast episode. Ashley, thank you so much for being on the show. Mark, it was so much fun. I hope we can do this again soon. I'd love to. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'd like to ask you a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. 
You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com.